Well, I made it up here. I wasn't sure. I'm excited and honored to be here this morning. Many of you have said some things to me this morning that have made this old country boy feel good, and I want to thank you. I love Melanie Park Church. When I say that, I'm not talking about the building or the campus. I like the building. I really do, and I like the campus, and it's getting prettier all the time. But I love the church, and that's you. I, uh, the last 28 years, I've, I have never had to walk through a crisis or a trial by myself. You've walked with me through all of them. And I'm grateful. My family is grateful. We love you. And I pray that God will use me to be a blessing to you, that he will bless me through you as through, that he will bless you through me as we look at his word together. Let's turn to Titus chapter 3, if you would. Titus chapter 3, verse 12. As soon as I send Artemis, Articacus, to you, Do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. May we pray again. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to be together. And thank you for your word. I pray that you will use me and I pray that you will speak to us from your word, that we will grow and that we will gain something to become more like Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. This is the bottom line of Paul's letter to Titus. Now, I like that because... I'm a bottom line sort of guy. I always like to know the bottom line of whatever it is I need to do, wherever it is I need to go. I want to know the bottom line. I've learned to work at not being too impatient, usually, to get to the bottom line. Because I know if there's not a top line and there's not a middle, there's no bottom line. But I like the bottom line. When I was involved in business, people would often come into my office and sit down and start talking to me about the weather, about the Dallas Cowboys, or whatever. 
And I'd let them go on so long with small talk, and then I would politely interrupt them with, what can I do for you? In other words, I wanted to get to the bottom line. What can I do? What is the bottom line? The company's not paying me to sit here and chit-chat. I want to know the bottom line. And also, I have stopped more than a few salespeople when they've come to me and they start going through their sales spiel and before they can get through it, I interrupt them. What's the bottom line? How much does it cost? Now, ladies, I don't want you to listen to this next part because if you do, it could get me in trouble. So now would you check and make sure your cell phone is on silent? Maybe check something in your purse and don't listen to me. But guys, I want to tell you, a little over 40 years ago, I was about to get married. And I was counseled by several men who were older and wiser than I. And they all told me that there would be days I would come home and my lovely bride would stop me and have something to say to me. And I needed to listen patiently. She didn't want me to fix anything. She didn't want me to change anything. She didn't want me to do anything. She just wanted me to listen. Well, I wasn't buying that. That just didn't make any sense. And it took me more than 20 years, I'm telling you, to get where I could do it. It still doesn't make much sense to me, but I tried. I try hard, but even today sometimes I'll find myself leaning forward, getting ready, and almost snapping my fingers and saying, all right, what do you want me to do? What's the bottom line? Because I'm a bottom line sort of guy. And that's not always a good thing to be. But it is here with this passage. Because this is the bottom line of Paul's letter to Titus. It's a very practical ending of a very practical letter. And it puts the instructions all together and tells Titus specifically and practically what he needs to do. It's the bottom line for Titus, and it applies to you and to me. Because like Titus, your time is limited. You don't know how much time you have. Titus didn't either. Titus had a lot to accomplish, but a limited amount of time to do it. Look at chapter 1, verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Titus had to find and appoint qualified elders. He had to silence some rebels. Look at verse 10, chapter 1. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, 
especially those of the circumcision group, they must be silent. As you read through chapter 2, you'll find that he wanted to get folks involved in disciple-making. And then in chapter 3, verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things. Now that's sound doctrine. Teach it. Stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. God related to us last week. Titus needed to make certain that sound doctrine was taught. And then that sound doctrine was translated into healthy relationships. Older men with younger women. Older men with younger men. I told you I'm rusty. I'll never get over that one. Maybe I better look closer at my notes. Older men with younger men, spending time with them, making disciples. Less younger women with younger women. You see, even I know better than to call them older women. (laughs) Masters with slaves. And it goes on. Healthy relationships should lead to good deeds. The church had to become an active biblical community. Titus had a lot to do, but he had a limited amount of time to get it done. Paul was going to send Artemis. Articacus, to replace Titus on Crete. Now Paul wasn't sure at that time who he was going to send. Perhaps he wasn't certain who would be available to send. And Artemis is mentioned only here. We don't know a lot about him. But Tychicus was from Asia. He, as you'll read the New Testament, you'll find he was a trusted and frequent companion of Paul. Paul used him to minister to the church at Ephesus and the church at Colossae. And apparently he or Artemis, either one, would have been a reliable replacement for Titus at Crete. And Titus needed to be ready to leave when one of them got there. Paul wanted Titus to meet him at Nicopolis where he intended to winter. Nicopolis is on the west coast of what is now called Greece. It's just across the sea from the southern coast of Italy. Not a bad place to winter. As I looked it up, nighttime temperatures during the winter average in the 40s. (coughs) Excuse me, daytime temperatures in the 50s or 60s. I think this 
shows us the human side of Paul. He could have gone to some place like we know as Minneapolis or Amarillo to winter, but he didn't go there. Think resort. Think beautiful blue water. And he wanted Titus to be with him there. Now I'd like to emphasize that what that did was place a limit on how much time Titus had to complete his part of the ministry in Crete. Exactly when he would have to leave was uncertain. But he had to get busy. He couldn't lollygag around. And you and I don't know how much time we have to do ministry. Now, I do want to place a little caveat here. Most of the mistakes that I've made in ministry, most of the mistakes I've made in my Christian life, and I've been preaching for nearly 50 years now, have been because I got in too big of a hurry. I got ahead of God's timing. Scripture encourages us to plan carefully, to seek wise, godly counsel. As a matter of fact, just a few pages earlier than this, when Paul was talking to Timothy or writing to Timothy, and Timothy also would be setting forth elder, in 1 Timothy 5.22, he said, Do not be hasty forth elder there's a biblical balance there do not be hasty but your time is limited get going you can't just lollygag around life is so uncertain I didn't expect to see the year 2016 but here I am and I'm making plans for the future and I hope to have some future ministry. Joanne wanted to keep me around, and Jesus did, and I don't want to dis disappoint either one of them. But life is uncertain. None of us know how long we're going to be on this planet. We know Jesus. That's an exciting thought. I tell you, when I got, several years ago, I got a call that they'd done a CT scan on me and looked like the cancer had spread and spread quite a bit. And I thought, oh boy, really, I get to go see Jesus. Now, I didn't want to be sick, but I really wanted to go see Jesus. And I've got to tell you, when it wasn't as bad as they first told me it was, I was a little disappointed. I'm looking forward to that. But I want to do everything God wants me to do. We don't know how long we're going to be on this planet. And now, world affairs, national politics make it increasingly difficult to do the ministry that God's called us to do. And it makes us wonder how much longer we can openly do ministry. We read almost weekly in the news about some Christian in business in our country 
being persecuted for living out their Christian faith, especially with regard to biblical marriage. You've got bakers, florists, photographers, printers, bed and breakfast owners, even some owners of some major chain stores. Some have been driven out of business or even worse, lost their homes. Some have ongoing legal battles and continually endure horrible threats against them and their family in this country. The Vice President of the United States has been ridiculed on television for some biblical stances he's taken that I was very proud of him. But he's been called mentally ill because of what he believes. Just this past October on ABC's TV, ABC TV's The View, there was a discussion. I don't watch it. I read about it. There was a discussion about religion. Well, I guess I did watch this one on YouTube, but they wanted to change the Ten Commandments and adapt them because they're no longer... That was the discussion. Uh, for modern life, they're not really applicable as God gave them, that we should change them and adapt them. But somebody who still had some old-fashioned moral and Christian convictions was speaking and used the name Jesus, talking about their past teachings, and the name of Jesus was bleeped out, just like it were an expletive, several times in that show. And then as I was looking, I found that there were other shows where the name of Jesus was bleeped out, unless it wasn't censored if they used it in, as a swear word, but using it reverently, it was bleeped out. That's in our country. Mike Pompeo, director of the Central Intelligence Agency, was nominated to serve as Secretary of State. During his confirmation hearings the other day, he's been shamed for his Christian beliefs. And according to some senators, his biblical beliefs make him unfit to serve as Secretary of State. Now, here's something I've been following lately. It's a bill in the California State Assembly, AB 2943, and it's an addition to the California Consumer Legal Remedies Act. Now in California, and at least nine other states, it's already against the law to give counsel to minors to help them overcome unwanted same-sex attraction. This bill would extend that to adults. But the thing that got me in reading this bill is that it applies to the sale and distribution of materials. This bill, if passed like it is, could literally make the sale and distribution of the Bible in the state of California against the law. already passed two committees, the vote of eight to one, 
and a vote of 8 to 2. Tomorrow it will be read for the third required procedural reading on the assembly floor. I don't know whether it's going to pass the assembly. I hope not. But if it passes the assembly, then it goes to the Senate. If it passes the Senate, it's sure to be signed by Governor Brown. I don't want to discourage you by mentioning these things. It really should encourage you. Jesus said, blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. You're blessed. <coughs> Excuse me. John 16, 33. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. It doesn't have to get you down. What is happening is what the Bible says would happen. We just see that God is working out His sovereign plan. You and I. It may not always be fun. I'm sure it will be difficult. Have the privilege of being involved in God working out His plan. The reason I do mention these things is that you have a limited amount of time to do the work God wants you to do. Jesus was speaking to his disciples in John chapter 9 when he said, As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. You have good reason to do all the work that you can. Look at verse 13, chapter 3. Do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer. Now aren't you ashamed for all those lawyer jokes you've been telling? Do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Zenos is only mentioned here. Now he could have been an expert in Jewish law, but most likely he practiced law in the courts of the Roman magistrates. And obviously he'd given up the practice of law and financial benefits from it if he was going to be helped by a preacher. But Apollos... We do know something about him. He was a Jew from Alexandria. He was well educated. He knew the scriptures. He was a dynamic speaker. He was noted for his missionary zeal and his boldness. And in the church he was both popular and effective. Titus and the believers on Crete were to provide for their food, their lodging, provide them with whatever resources they need to continue their missionary ministry. 
It was known as hospitality in the early church. Romans 9 verse 13 says, practice hospitality. Today we might call it, at least part of it, a missions program. But it's what they had to do and what he's called us to do. Verse 14. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. The verse is also translated, learn to engage in good deeds. King James says, learn to maintain good works. But any way you translate it, it's not easy. It's not automatic. It is work. Paul wrote to the Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28 of Ephesians. He who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work. Doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Paul is talking about earning a living but much, much more. I've always said, what's the good of having anything if you can't share it? Well, let's look back in Titus. Look at, in chapter 3, look at verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Go up to verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. Be obedient. And to be ready to do whatever is good. Chapter 2. Look at verse 14. Let's start with verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Saved by grace through faith. Or by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Chapter 2, verse 7 of Titus. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. It's not enough just to be. He wants us to do. The folks back at Crete and you and I are called to get involved in the lives of others. 
There's no copying out and saying, it's none of my business. As you read back over in Titus, you see that getting involved in real biblical community means commitment. Commitment to each other. And sacrifice. Commitment and sacrifice of time. Elder women, he wanted to take time with the younger women. That's a sacrifice. Sacrifice of energy. You may have to do something when you'd rather go home and relax. But it's, the Rangers aren't doing that hot anyway, so you might as well get involved. The sacrifice and commitment of your resources. There's a sacrifice and commitment of your privacy. You're going to be inviting others to invade your personal space. Not popular today. And it's not always easy. And it's not always comfortable. But we must do it. That's what it is to turn sound doctrine into sound living. Be sure you read Todd's message on the back of the bulletin about practicing what you preach. It's exactly what we're talking about here. And then down to verse 15. The bottom line of the bottom line. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. In other words, he's saying, everyone here says hello. Gomer Pyle would say, hey, to you and yours. And then grace be with you all. I think that's better, better translated all y'all. The word grace is used at least 158 times in the New Testament. It's used four times in these short three chapters of Titus. The bottom line of the bottom line for Titus. The bottom line of the bottom line for the Cretans. It's the bottom line of the bottom line for all believers. Chapter 1, verse 4, Titus. To Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Chapter 3, verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. 
so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. God saves us not because we are good. God saves us not because He saw potential in us. God saves us not because of the work we do, but because He loves us. This grace is available to us because of the completed work of Jesus Christ on Calvary. That's our bottom line. We work not to get grace. We work because we've known grace. Because God has loved us. What's the bottom line? We need to tie it all together. First, sound doctrine. Then, put it into action. Put it to work in your life. One of my favorite preachers, Charles Swindoll, said if you're not sure how to get started doing that, ask yourselves these questions. What wrong needs to be made right? What wrong needs to be made right? Number two, how has God equipped me to make a difference, even a small difference? How has God, ask yourself, how has God equipped me to make a difference, even a small difference? Number three, who can answer my questions or help me get started? Probably know the answer to that. Who can answer my questions or help me get started? Don't wait. Your time is limited. Do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace, for reaching down and touching us. It's all about what Jesus did for us, and we can never work to make ourselves acceptable or more acceptable or more loved by you. But we can work and show our love for you. We can work and get involved in the plan that you have, reaching out to others. Help us to do that. Help us to put sound doctrine together. With true action. Showing our love to you and to each other. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. And have a wonderful day.